Hola, bienvenidos. Hello, hello. And welcome to LatinXYC, where we discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of U.S. politics from a Latino, Latina, and Latinx perspective. My name is uh, Clemencia Herrera, and I am founder of Moira Studio, a cross-cultural advertising agency that works with progressive political campaigns, organizations, and advocacy initiatives to engage with Latino audiences exactly how they deserve, with an authentic and caring way. Hello. Hello, and I'm Cecilia Del Cid. I'm an environmental and social justice practitioner. I'm an immigrant from Guatemala, community weaver. Um, working media as well. Nice to see you, Hermosa. Miss you, girl. <laughs> I know. It's been too long. I know. And today? And today, to kick off our uh, season four, um, we are very honored to have Angelica Razo, the Texas State Director for the Political Action Committee, Mi Familia Vota. Welcome. Great. Great to be here with you, Clemencia and Cecilia. Bienvenida. Thank you. Thank Bienvenida. You. Angelica joined Mi Familia Vota in 2017 to lead the organization's youth leadership program in Houston. She currently serves as the Texas State Director, where she oversees the state's operations to increase political representation and power for the Latinx community. Yes. Through electoral advocacy and community organizing strategies, her strong belief in community empowerment motivates her to engage others so they can find their own unique civic role while participating in collective action. Love all this. And Angelica has always been passionate about contributing to advocacy and engagement efforts that lead to sustainable and equitable solutions for her community. She's mostly interested in issues regarding access to democracy. Yes. Gender equity. Yes. And climate yes justice. Yes. I know Ceci <laughs> would really like yes. that one too. Yes. Welcome so much. What an what an honor to have you here in such an amazing um, mission that you have. Yes, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited for the conversation that we're about to have. And I'm just really ready to speak honestly about what is happening in Texas, what is Texas, and what's mm. up ahead for Texas. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about Texas. I feel like... Most of the times, and I think, you know, movies have perpetuated this image um, and also the media, um, you know, people in the rest of the country think of Texas as like a bunch of cowboy types, you know, like white conservative Americans, like Anglo-Americans, um, right? And I, you know, in, in talking about this episode, you said that the reality couldn't be farther from from that. So, so can you can you speak a little bit about yeah, that? Absolutely. So, just um, you know, we are we always love to remind people that Texas is, was once part of Mexico. So there were there are family members here that can still trace their lineage back to when one day they were living in Mexico and the next day they were living in the United States when Texas joined um, the nation. And so. It is so important to just highlight that you can't talk about Texas history without talking about Latin American history. 
that ever since we formed as a state, we've been becoming increasingly diverse and that comes with a lot of Latin American heritage and culture. And it comes from heritages from all over the world. I'm based in Houston, the most diverse city in the United States. And we say that with, with pride and recognize that we need to do more for inclusion and equity um, and use diversity as a strength and not a, not a crutch. And then just a reminder that Latinos are becoming around 50% of the state's population. The Whoa. second most populated state in the United States is 50% Latino. So yes, every single issue in Texas is a Latino issue. We are, hmm. we're not isolated from any issues. We are disproportionately impacted in some issue areas. But every single issue, every single thing that impacts Texans is impacting Latinos firsthand. Um, and we're no longer a minority. We still see policies that minoritize us, but simply put, we're not a minority. Yes, and they, but they like to portray it that way, right? Um, yes. And yeah, then, so what you see in the headlines and media and, and who is in our leadership is not necessarily what Texas looks like on the ground. It's just, it's not. Yeah. The por the por I think they like to portray Latinos in Texas like either undocumented criminals, low income people. Like it's just like such a you know awful stereotype. And you know, there's been families that have lived there for generations, right? Yes, and I mean it's it's the entire spectrum from beginning to now and everything in between. So again, family members that have been here for over a hundred years and people that arrived yesterday, right? Um, and everything, everyone that came in between, people that are first, second, third generation, people that have different language proficiencies in English and in Spanish and indigenous languages, um, folks who um, have various legal statuses from undocumented to U.S. citizenships, but also green cards, um, asylum seekers, refugees. Like we have every single type of profile that you can imagine is here in Texas and they're Texan and we need to embrace them as that. So if we think about what you were saying about how populous the state is, what percentage of that population is Latino, Latinx, how is that representation in in the legislature? Like do we see it? Is it is Do you see more Latinos in policy, making policy, maybe at the state level or maybe at the local level? Um, I yeah, certainly when really I think question. we're not proportionally represented yet. We have um, probably about a, a third of the way to go in terms of that proportional representation at the state level. And then it varies locally um, in Houston, where around 45% of the city's population, we have one Latino city council member. Um, and so recognizing wow. that maps have been drawn, <laughs> maps mm -hmm. have been drawn to really uh, make it hard for Latinos to run and win. Um, but I also want to credit the immense progress that we've seen in Texas over the past couple of decades. So we do have a fair share of Latino, Latina legislators and local leaders um, and very proud that in 2018 we sent the first Texas Latina Congresswoman to D.C., right? Again, after so many years and generations of Latinos being in Texas, we're, we're starting to slowly roll out all of our first. Um, and then really create that wave of engagement in the Latino population. It's also really important to note that 
the other demographic shift that we're seeing happen in Texas is that we're an extremely young state. A large portion of our population is under the age of 30. Um, and a large portion of that population is Latino. And so I say we're 50%, you're going to see those numbers vastly increase over the next couple of decades because it's just simply put um, from an immigration standpoint and birth rate standpoint, we are becoming a larger population. Um, and then the and we're alongside our black community, which is we have more black African Americans in the state of Texas than any other state. Mm-hmm. The Asian American population is the fastest growing population in Texas. Um, and so as we're thinking about the issues that impact us, we also need to understand like what are the, these issues are not just Latino issues, they're also mm-hmm. issues that other communities are, are also working through as well. Yeah, and I mean besides the obvious, you know, that people always think oh Texas border border stuff and you know all the conservatives are up in arms about the border all the time saying that you know this is a disaster or it's chaotic or whatever um tell us about you know some of the um challenges that uh Latinos go through because of failed policy in in Texas yeah absolutely um just just for folks out there texas has the largest portion of the u.s mexico border from el paso which mexico the mexico sister city is ciudad juarez all the way down to brownsville mcallen um which is reino santa tamaulipas on the mexican side and then other areas like laredo towards the middle um and so it's a it's (laughs) It's quite a stretch of, of border, which means we have some concentrated urban border communities like El Paso and McAllen Brownsville area, some more rural areas around the Laredo, and then everything in between along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have that initial border, right, with the two to three entry points. And then 90 miles north of that, you have another border point, checkpoint, of which a lot of folks, yeah. once they cross the first border undocumented, you can't cross the second checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do to think about that sliver that exists across um, the border region of Texas and Mexico where it's extremely under-resourced. We have lack of hospitals and clinics in these rural areas. Um, we have a lot of unincorporated communities, what we call colonias, um, communities that are our neighborhoods but don't really necessarily belong to a public entity like a city or a county. And so they're fighting for access to water and sewage treatment simply because they were never formally incorporated under a jurisdiction and struggle to even identify who their representatives are. Who are the public officials that need to be making sure they have access to some of the basic necessities that we take for granted, like water, sewage treatment, um, And then also when there's federal funding coming in or state funding, who is managing the distribution of those funds into these communities? And so it really is a whole, sometimes a whole nother world, a nation kind of caught it in between two big, amazing countries um, and a lot of learned and taught resilience over the generations. Uh, My family, when they arrived from Mexico, arrived in the Rio Grande Valley, which is where I was born. And so I, I hold a lot of just love for for those communities that first welcomed my parents and my family into the United States 
um, and then just recognize that we need to do better. We need to do more. Um, we can't just like ostracize and want to isolate this community. Mm-hmm. It's not out of sight, out of mind at all. Um, and again, and we're seeing that the state leaders just increasingly attack our border communities. Um, just the past month, we saw just so much state money go down the drain in an effort to 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 send a message that we were protecting our border and that was not the case. Um, and so it's it's unfortunate that there's a lot of opportunity to have that strong binational culture and economy, um, but we use the border when it's convenient for us and when it's not, we really do forget about the people that live along that. Yeah, this is U.S. <laughs> territory, me- people. People in the U.S. are living this way. And I know um, that I have heard and and read much about the Rio Grande Valley. And, you know, I've heard of people having to drive two hours to get to a hospital uh, to get medical care or people that just have to drive to Mexico because they can't afford health care in Texas. This is the U.S., guys. These are taxpayers that are not getting access to this very common services it's 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 incredible i think i think angelica is touching in in on many many things there is issues of climate injustice right like if you have not clean water not access to sewage those are like disproportionate like climate issues that that same border is crossing and splitting causing ecological damage that border before used to be an historically i think many decades ago a much more permeable area in which people would Mm -hmm. transition from one country to the other that border crossed many families many histories they didn't cross it they they got crossed by it um but i also think about the consequences of what it means to have this this kind of like no lands no man's land land, and who represents it but also who polices it also how do you have access like if I think of reproductive health and Texas having one of the most kind of um, kind of the harshest mm-hmm. uh, anti-abortion legislations that have passed in the last year or so, and what happens if you live in this space or in this area that is close to the border and you suddenly need to to have access to reproductive health mm-hmm. and what does it mean to dr- have to drive to another state what who has the access to do that how does that impact our community so i appreciate you layering that all these issues are not just single issues but that they're interconnected mm-hmm. and that they at multiple intersections affect our communities and, and continue to 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 keep to keep certain populations in very precarious ways. Yeah, and then just wanting to recognize that because of the nature of just how we view border security and threats, um, uh, Border Customs Patrol has a lot of leeway and freedom. And this, again, this the entire border region and the the nine the eighty to ninety miles from what we consider the border up until those the security checkpoints and so these are federal agents that really have a lot of freedom to patrol as they wish um to call people out or they're being suspicious right there's a lot of loose language um that we've we've implemented into law that allows for a lot of agency on behalf of ice uh in all of texas but particularly in the border regions in 2017, Texas passed SB4, which we named the Show Me Your Papers law, mm-hmm. which really allowed 
local law enforcement, not just federal, but local law enforcement to demand that someone show them that they are a U.S. citizen. And so parts of that's still in litigation, parts of that law is being challenged, but it really um, created this this fear and trauma. And profiling. Yeah, and I mean, it's clearly racial profiling. Um, but people even just scared to show up to the to the hospital. You know, what if somebody asked me for my ID, right? Um, for even permanent residents and U.S. citizens to have having to think about that, we would ha have to uh, be prepared to showcase proof of U.S. citizenship or lawful residency. And so again, it's it's definitely a direct impact on our undocumented community. But it's a Latino issue. It's a it's a um, it's an issue for those. In Texas, we're considered othered because we're we're at risk for being questioned for having to prove more because we look, talk, uh, present ourselves in a certain way. So that's just a huge issue that still continues to to impact Texans. Um, and then in terms of reproductive justice, absolutely. I mean, last year when we passed um, SB8, which is named the the heartbeat bill, which is uh, people cannot obtain, um, cannot legally obtain abortions after six weeks, um, which is a, a, most of the time most women don't even know they're pregnant at that time. Um, and with the strong possibility that Roe v. Wade would be overturned, um, then we're seeing Texas flat out ban all ban all safe abortions. And so, it's also really important to note that over the past couple of decades. I mean, this has been a touchy, touchy issue for Texans and our legislators for a really long time. And every single session, there's an attempt, sometimes very successfully, to defund or close down clinics that provide abortions. And so you're not shutting down abortion clinics. You're shutting down community clinics, which is where a lot of our family members might go get uh, cancer screenings, mm -hmm. preventative health care. Um, family planning, uh, teenage and adolescent health care. And so everyone likes to take one side or another on this issue that's very touchy. But at the end of the day, it was an issue that was impacting the health and the wellness of a lot of our community members. Mm -hmm. And so you shut down a clinic in rural Texas, you don't know when the next clinic is going to be. That's not an incentive for healthcare providers to move to Texas and provide healthcare. It's an issue on so many levels. Um, and and we've just made it out to be a very black and white issue when that's just not the case at all. Um, and so with uh, the new abortion bill or abortion law that we see, um, yes, like there is not a lot of luxury for certain people to drive one state over, which is about eight or nine, 10 hours. Um, especially when a lot of our southern states or midwestern states are following in Texas steps and also passing um, their own abortion bans. And so we're starting, Texas is starting to be very central to abortion ban states and it's becoming increasingly hard for people having to travel to find appropriate care. How, you know, um, when you when you think about and about all these issues, how, what is the path forward? How are we organizing? What are the goals? Um, yeah, how do we how do we get this uh, resolved yeah. somehow? You know, like I, I <laughs> as, see as, I see like, so many I'm, I'm, so many issues, and they're sad. But yeah. as we are fifty percent of the of the population in Texas, how like what is our path forward as Latinos? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the end goal is that we really need to elect leadership and decision makers that are advocating for us, that are recognizing that we're Texas is a strong economy. So let's 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 just talk about that. We can we're considered like one of the top global economies as we stand alone as a state. So resources and funds are there. Whether they get distributed as they should in terms of need and priority, that's just not the case that we see. And so we really need to have decision makers um, and agencies that that recognize that. Um, and ultimately, the path forward is that we need we as Latinos we need to really recognize what we bring to the table and and celebrate it. We just launched a a campaign called Merecemos Mejor, We Deserve Better, because we know that we are just so central to Texas's culture and community and values and economy and workforce. We're overrepresented in the labor workforce. We're overrepresented in the essential labor workforce that kept Texas moving during the pandemic. That's There's no question about it. Um, but then we tend to be overrepresented and issues that are negatively impacted us. Texas has the highest rate of uninsured people across all of the, the 50 states. Of our uninsured population, Latinos make up the majority of those uninsured folks. You know, we have a very young state population. We have, you know, we're one of the, the states that has the lowest uh, allotted for public education. Mm. Um, and so over and over ago, we just have examples of how um, was such a huge like parental disparity. leave, exactly. parental leave. We don't have paid work leave. There, I mean, again, we have an antiquated election and voting system, right? You know, systems that some states haven't used for the past 20, 30 years. Um, and so what you see out there is on the headlines of what's happening in Texas. Sometimes it's a facade. You know, we talk about election integrity and security and that's just... You know, that's happening as soon as other Texans, are, as more Texans are starting to vote and mm -hmm. get engaged. So the path forward is really that we educate our folks mm -hmm. and that they, they know what they're contributing to the state, that they feel powerful because we are, um, that it, it's, it's coming from a point that we, need, we deserve better because we, we do more. Yeah. And we do, we do it very willingly and we do it very happily for our community and for our children or for our families. And we don't get that in return from the policies that we see being passed in Texas. Yeah. And so with this campaign, is it's really to celebrate our community and to name it and to say, listen, we've been here. We're going to continue to be here. Um, and and with that in line, we deserve to be equally represented and across mm -hmm. all the issue areas. We deserve policies that are recognizing that we've been historically excluded, um, uh, policies that have intentionally left our communities out of historical and, and, and funding, mm -hmm. that we've been disproportionately impacted by natural disasters such as the pandemic, such as the winter storm Yuri that mm -hmm. happened last year, such as the shootings that have been happening in, in Texas in the recent years. And so it's, it's demanding better <laughs> and, I, and I always say this very carefully because I think we're too proud sometimes we're too proud to, to ask um, what for for more but to really again center ourselves and like we've been contributing so much since the start uh, of Texas um, and that's having a statewide impact and it's having a national impact mm -hmm. right um, and so the path forward is really to increase voter participation uh, not just for one election, but for every single election moving forward. I mean, hard work is part of our 
you know, ethic, right? I, and we talked about this before. <laughs> like Latinos always equal to hard work, right? They're always hard workers. Yeah, but, but it's... But I think that that is very rooted in capitalism and, and extraction and even thinking about our comprehension of we think of asking for these resources and it's almost like they're government mm -hmm. handouts and they are public yeah, we, services yeah, we, that we, we, we are we pay all for. contributing mm -hmm. to through our taxes. Yes. Absolutely. So I think that messaging is so important to, to change that mentality that it's just not like someone is giving mm -hmm. you a handout. It's that these are things that yeah. you are buying. Yeah, with Medicare for all is not Don't a handout. <laughs> it's actually something that we are paying for. And even like in, in Texas, when we've done the analysis, if we expanded Medicaid expansion, it would bring money into our state. Mm. It's not even a, a break even. There's a net gain for us, like for the entire state, not just for those that are uh, impacted by with by not having insurance, healthcare insurance. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, why are we like, why are we not using common sense? You know, why are we not looking at the data and the lived experiences of uh, of Texans to make these decisions? Yeah. Um, and so from all viewpoints, the, 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 um, the economy, but then again, like, like uh, the lived experiences of people, there's so many opportunities to pass legislation that just makes sense for Texas. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing we've been doing this podcast for uh, some time now. And, and to me, it feels like a lot of the sentiment that many Latinos around the country have is that they are just working in their own silo and not really connecting with the the power of the numbers, right? Like they're not really um, like getting how much power they have because we have so many, so many of us. And, and we are also very aligned in what we need and what we want. Um, but it's like, I don't think that there's that connection. We haven't made that, you know, connection in that web of Latinos across the country in which we're like, all right, we're going to all come together to fight for this cause for fight for us. Cause everybody's so focused on just like their own lives and their themselves. And it's like this, it, you know, I think that part of the engagement comes from realizing that power of the numbers and the power that, that we can have if we all come together and do as you know it is it, it, it says he's gonna say it's all part of the systems of oppression i just know i know i know you're gonna say that <laughs> it's gonna be like you're just describing capitalism and i was just thinking like we are you know the system is is made to keep you tired exhausted all the things that we as citizens we cannot recover from one tragedy this podcast is being recorded a day after what probably the largest school shooting since the Sandy Hook mm -hmm. um, shooting um, so thank you Angelica for for holding this space with us in, in this difficult time for for the community for 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 you um, but those are things that we can barely it's like you don't it's like if you imagine swimming it's like we don't have our nose mm -hmm. above the water it, sometimes we like put it up and then we hold some breath and go back on the water and like so of course we are barely keeping ourselves alive barely surviving so how can we think about really community building mm -hmm. um solidarity economies of really thinking of like good and latinos have and you've mentioned how the other populations of um folks of color are growing in the state black asian native american prob probably and i'm thinking 
there has been a strong coalition probably in Texas and we, we don't hear about these webs of support. We don't hear about it because the, the, the goal is to keep us divided, yeah. to Ooh. focus in our own little, you mm-hmm. know, survival, to, to find the energy, the time, the strength to really thrive together. That's a, that's a very thoughtful, long game strategy of, of wielding power. Yeah, and I think, again, like the community organizing is just so important. Uh, like, I, we, I know we've been saying since like 2020, we're not a monolith um, in terms of the Latino community. And that's definitely the case in Texas. I think I say that where we have shared values and experiences, but the diversity in terms of the Latino community that exists mm-hmm. in Texas is it's also really vast. Again, we've mentioned like the spectrum of, of people being here for one generation versus four or five, mm-hmm. um, the language diversity that exists. Um, but then also in terms of um, uh, country of origin and nationality. So we, yes, we love to say, we know that uh, mm-hmm. Mexican Americans make a large portion of the Latin community in Texas, um, but we have a growing population of folks from mm-hmm. Colombia, from uh, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, from the Caribbean, from Puerto Rico, from the Dominican. It, it goes on and on and on. And so um, I think organizations like Mi Familia Wata, we need to be on the ground to really see those folks and listen to them and understand them because like we are very stubborn, somos tercos. And so sometimes we like to say like, oh no, that's that's an issue for you, not for me. Um, but at the end of the day, like, we're, we're living in this under the same state leadership, under the same mm-hmm. system. Um, and yes, we credit a lot of our hard work ethic to the successes that we have, um, but it, it still does feel like sometimes there's like mm-hmm. just this cloud of doom constantly on the horizon. Um, but what I've seen through Mi Familia Wata and our community organizing is when people come together and share those stories and share what they want for their children and for their families, um, and talk about you know the struggles that they've been through, but then the successes and celebrate mm-hmm. um, and cry and laugh together. Then it's a whole different mentality, and so I do think it's going to require um, a cultural shift in how we we organize with Latino communities in Texas to recognize that even within ourselves that we're not being exclusive mm-hmm. or we're not making assumptions of other people, but really recognizing again we're under the same umbrella. Um, and sometimes we just um, we have the same experiences, but our perceptions might be different. And to really just start breaking down mm-hmm. a lot of these preconceived notions that we might have with one another. One question for you: Are you seeing a more diverse kind of um, candidates? Like, are they? How is the political landscape of candidates? Uh, growing, diversifying, um, what is emerging from these very diverse pool of, you mm-hmm. know, for this, from this community? Yeah, I would say um, it's a yes and no. Yes, we're seeing more candidate diversity, not just in the Latino community, but a lot of the other communities in Texas. Um, and, um, and I'll come back to why yes, but the no part is because, I mean, we just got... <laughs> We just went through a very brutal redistricting session in Texas where congressional state state legislators maps and then our state board of education maps just completely 
are very, very much so disregarded the Latino population. And so they were drawn out in a way that we didn't gain a lot of Latino opportunity districts. Texas should have gained three districts with the census count. Mm. Um, there's been reports saying that a large portion of Texans mm. were undercounted. Um, so we ultimately gained two congressional districts. Had we gained three, it should have been very likely that two of those three districts, congressional districts, should have been Latino opportunity mm. zones simply because the way our population expanded in some of the urban and suburban areas. Um, and what we saw were uh, maps drawn out on partisan scales where one district was drawn out for white Democrats to win in and one district was drawn out for white Republicans to, um, to win in. And so issues that should not be partisan end up becoming partisan very quickly mm-hmm. in Texas because of our political yeah. People that end up losing are just your everyday Texans um, who simply just need resources to thrive, um, and so that was really upsetting to see. Um, but yes, there is be there we have an increasing number of candidates um, throwing their hat in from local to to state levels, and that's really exciting. Um, and so we're building out a Latino leadership pipeline in Texas that we should be very proud of, um, and. And it's going to require even more investment in this current generation of candidates. And so they can, they're not just running, but they're winning and they're being held accountable by the community that voted them in. So again, these, is, this, these issues shouldn't be partisan. It, for me, for me, yeah, with that, it does not, success does not mean one party being more in control mm-hmm. than the other. It means that our communities can hold their elected officials accountable and that we see increase of quality of life because because great candidates were voted in. Um, and so it, it really is going to, to take these generational shifts to make sure that we are well prepared to have diverse candidate pools that can be successful in winning and then passing legislation that is good for Yeah, but opinion. you know, even though Texas has been infamously red forever, um, you know, I've noticed that there's been some districts that have been turning blue, right? So I, I feel like there's mm-hmm. some hope, um, you know, in terms of, you know, things for, for change in Texas, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, I definitely think we have a lot of room for hope. And, you know, pre-2020, um, we averaged in presidential elections around 40 to 48% of the electorate voting. So, and that's the electorate. Those are registered voters. And so our elected officials were voted in by less than half of the eligible voting population. And so organizers like to say, we're not a red state, we mm. were a non-voting state. Interesting. Um, and you can name a list of reasons why people were not engaging in voting from just flat out voter suppression to a feeling of hopelessness and disengagement because again, they, we, ha- we struggle sometimes to see our victories. Um, and so that's changing, absolutely. Again, with um, with uh, in the aftermath of 2020, we had more mm-hmm. Latinas vote than ever before. And we know that we bring out the rest of our, our community. So we're going to see an upward trend in that. We had more mm-hmm. Latino youth vote in 2020. Um, and that's what we want. We want to continue seeing that upward trend in 2022. Um, 
we're facing again a, another voter suppression law <laughs> that's just making it harder and confusing. I was able voter confusion yeah. is voter suppression. Um, yeah. Uh, and so that's that's where we are in Texas also when it comes to our voting, our voting and, and election laws. Um, and so there's definitely hope there. And we know when there's another attack on us, it's probably because we've yeah. been doing pretty good <laughs> because we've been seeing increases, right? And so we take it as a compliment. <laughs> you know, we find the silver lining in it. Um, I know that um, we're going to fight back, whether it's in litigation, whether it's in advocacy and organizing. Um, but we see so much hope on the horizon. We see so, so many opportunities for more folks to get involved. Yeah. And so you just said it, right? Um, what so are more folks to get involved? Like, mm-hmm. how can people listening and that live in Texas get involved? How do, how how can? If you're in Houston or in Texas, we would love to have you on the ground with us doing voter registration. As we get closer to the elections, we're, we're building up our, our canvassing teams, folks that are uh, from the community talking to the rest of their community members. It's really going to take this large village, just like force. <laughs> yeah, it's a force. And, and, and we're slowly starting to see, or I see the Latino community coming together from folks that are more on the political side to folks that are more on the organizing side. Like, we're all strategizing and thinking together, and it's, like, we can't carry this burden by ourselves. There's a, the organizing community is, in Texas, is, is small, and we just know it can't just be us. We need to bring more people to the table. We need more people talking about elections and the terminology that they use, that they feel comfortable with, with the values that they mm-hmm. were prioritizing, with the issues that are important to them. It's not just one singular mes- message. It's the message of all Texans um, talking about why good leadership is so necessary for our, our lives. Um, and then if you're not in Houston or, or in Dallas, still head us up. We want folks to, to, they need to get trained on voter registration or how to talk about elections mm-hmm. or how to talk about certain issues. Let us know because we need ambassadors to be in every single corner of Texas. Um, there's 254 counties in Texas and there's Latinos mm-hmm. in every single county. From the urban areas, suburban and rural, we're in every single part of Texas in every single corner. And so we want to make sure that even the Latinos that are not in our Houston and, and, and Dallas areas, that you don't feel alone, that you don't feel like there's not a community that you can get connected to because we are we're very much aware of the resources that we also need to be providing for our folks out there. So are there any dates that Texan citizens should be keeping in mind when that they should be registered for something yes, that like, you know, a great question. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, in the state of Texas, you have to get registered to vote 30 days before the upcoming election. If you're not already registered, you just need to make sure if you're already registered, don't worry about it. You haven't moved. Don't worry about it. You just have to make sure your voter registration is up to date and active at least 30 days before the election this year. I believe that falls on October 11th. And election day, along with the, the rest of the country, is going to be November 8th, um, that Tuesday in, in November. It's a, it's a big one for Texas. Um, some of the big uh, positions that we will see on our ballot mm-hmm. is the governor of Texas. That's a, I, I hope that everyone across the nation is paying really close attention to that race. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a high stakes race. We will also have other positions like lieutenant governor. 
um, up for re-election. If you're not familiar with what a lieutenant governor does, they have almost as much power as a governor and they decide mm-hmm. a lot of our legislative agenda. So this is a person that um, really makes it or break it when we're uh, looking at some of the state policies mm-hmm. that Texas is passing. Um, so governor, lieutenant governor, mm-hmm. and our attorney general, um, again, a really mm-hmm. strong and powerful position in the state of Texas. Um, if Again, if you care about anything, whether it be environmental justice, reproductive health, education, um, health, wellness, um, how you're going to keep the lights on in the next storm, you need to vote for these three positions. You need to find out who the incumbents and the candidates are um, and really and reach out to them to reach out to their campaigns, ask them questions, mm. um, make them work. Yeah. For your vote, I think you it's really pay for again, them. You're demanding more. You you pay for exactly. them to sit there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then at the at the in everyone's local um, community, you're going to see positions like state representatives and state senators. Again, a lot of the issues we've been talking about, they go through our state uh, our state leadership, and so these are positions that carry a lot of weight. Um, I, I love to bring up our, our county judges in Texas. The county judges serve as the executives of the county. Um, in my home county of Harris County, um, Harris County Judge Luna Hidalgo represents 5.4 million people. Yeah. It's a lot of power. Uh, it's a very important position. Um, and I, I always say, you know, we didn't see state leadership step up during the pandemic as much as I would have liked. Um, so our county leadership had, was that next level uh, of support and they had to pass local policies to provide relief. So our county mm-hmm. positions are really important. Um, our congressional positions are also really important. And so there, I, I just, we say every election is so important mm-hmm. and it's because it's true, but in the state of Texas, like we cannot afford to sit out on elections. I think, you know, I think what happened in Uvalde um, this week is just mm-hmm. a reminder of that. Um, and so, and we keep getting reminders and we don't want to get any more reminders. Mm-hmm. Of that. So if you want to um, you learn more much. about Mi Familia Vota, their Twitter handle is at Mi Familia Vota. And you reach out to them if you want to get involved in the in the ground stuff, which is, sounds really fun and very impactful. And, um, and please register to vote. Those guys, your taxes go towards them working for you. And we can't just let them off the hook. They have to be accountable for keeping the things that you want going. So please register to vote. It's really important. I know people think that it doesn't matter or whatever. Not true. I do this for a living. Angelica does this for a living. We know. <laughs> and take someone with you, right? Let's not make it boring. Let's not make it confusing. The first time I voted, I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't know early voting existed. There's early yeah. voting out, by the way. And Texas, we have two weeks of early voting, and then we have election day. You know, I, I walked into the, the booth, and I didn't recognize people on the ballot except mm-hmm. for the presidential election that I was voting in, right? I was lost, confused, and lonely, and I said, mm. this is not for me. And that just was mm. the, so not the case. So um, take someone with you, make uh, 
a celebration out of it, create community around this. It's a powerful thing. But we've been taught to put our heads down, not say anything, or we've been thought we've been taught that it's some bureaucratic thing that only a certain population does. And it's like, no, we can bring our own spin into this. We can make it our own thing and we can be proud to do it because the more people that we engage in this process, the more that we're going to see state leadership and elected officials represent us and pass policies that support Beautifully us. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Excellent. Thank you so much, Angelica. Thank you. Um, we are out of time. Um, if you want to, like I said, at Mi Familia Vota Twitter handle. And if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any questions about anything that we said today, um, you can reach us at at Latinx Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And you can also email me, Clem, at LatinXYZPod.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. If you live in Texas, please share it with your friends. And uh, <laughs> give us a review. Give us a review. If you hate it or you love or it. Or recommendations. We'd like to hear from you anyway. We love to hear for, <laughs> from everyone that has said that they have issues with our podcast. We want to hear that too because this is, a, this is a conversation. We're not just like trying to impose things on people. We want to hear everybody's opinion and everybody's opinion is very valued. So thank you so much, Angelica, and good luck with all these efforts. And I want to hear back on, on how it went after elections. <laughs> and uh, thanks everyone out there. Uh, yes. Welcome to season four. We have some great guests coming, lots of ideas in the works. And um, see you next episode. 